This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure, who are here to make procurement simple. Zero Procure harnesses a network of specialists to ensure that businesses are working with the right suppliers at the right price. Hospitality Meets is delighted to partner with the Zero Procure team and their network to help keep this podcast accessible and free to listen to. Please get in touch with them for a chat. Just click on their link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Raymond Blanc, chef patron at Le Manoir au Cat Saison and all-round hospitality icon. Coming up on today's show... Raymond explores one of life's great mysteries. We know how to go to the moon, yet we don't know what's happening in our souffles. Phil hands out a whopper of a compliment... Your extraordinary people generally have extraordinary stories. Uh, your, your story has not disappointed. And Raymond reveals a huge, life-changing moment. That moment was the most important moment of my life. All that and so much more as we chat through Raymond's unbelievable story so far. I can't tell you how enjoyable it was to interview Raymond and something of a bit of a personal dream, but there's no doubt that he has unrivaled energy and passion for hospitality and that comes through from start to finish in our chat. Not only that, there's some cracking lessons for everyone in here no matter what stage you're at in your own journey and he gives us all manner of wonderful anecdotes from his life. A huge thank you to him for being so free with his time. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're listening. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets welcome to, and I can't quite believe I'm saying this, Raymond Blanc. Welcome to the show. Merci, Phil. How are you? Uh, very well. This is a nice coat of snow outside. Everyone is working from home. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> yeah. dares to drive. Yeah, well, it's train strikes everywhere as well. And train strikes. Okay, so you have to live through all these little disturbances. Yeah. So what? It's all okay. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Well, the I'm manoir good. is full on. Okay, we're absolutely fully booked. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah, I just met a couple of guests which really loved it, enjoyed it. And uh, what I like about the manoir is about um, its inclusivity. You know, it's, in, you know, it's not a, a luxury which is exclusive. Yep. It's a luxury which is totally inclusive. And by doing so, by making that shows, I can tap into two types of guests. The very wealthy, who will come once a month, and the guests, like my papa, who could come once a year, or once in a lifetime, and they would save their money yeah. and come here. When you tap into two markets, actually you are you you're doing well. That you're winning, and those values are powerful. And I will, if you want to know, I will talk about where do those values come from. Yeah, no, I'm sure I am absolutely sure we'll get into that. I have been lucky enough to experience Le Manoir, and I definitely fall into the category of saving up for yeah. the experience. And I had a chat earlier on with Benoit actually uh, around the, the pastry element, and I, I told him. Something that I will always remember, one of the happiest days of my wife's life was here because she said, finally, I've come to somewhere who knows how to balance desserts. Don't make them too sweet. You know, they're just, yeah, beautiful. Well, Benoit, uh, about sweetness, Benoit obviously knows me very well because uh, very much uh, it's true that desserts, sugar was, sugar is a catalyst of flavor, but it can also kill food. Yeah. By its sweetness. Okay, so, in, and in the past, the British, the British customer, the British guest, had a very a palate which was very sugary. Whereas now we are moving towards the far less sugar, 
and desserts, of course, have got all of that freshness. And so it's, so it's true as well with salt, less salt, less sugar. So the food is cleaner, fresher, yeah. truer, more authentic, more beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. So less is often more. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've just gone straight in and said, welcome to the show, but we haven't explained who you are. For the three people out there who might not know who you are, please tell the world who you are and what it is that you do. Well, first, I'm a Frenchman, and you can hear it through the accent. <laughs> My name is Raymond Blanc, and I'm uh, the chef patron of Le Manoir and, and founder of Le Manoir. And, uh, and I'm preparing also its own future because we pass by, we fireflies in your life, in one's life, one tries to leave something very beautiful behind you. Not for your egos, not for any form of legacy, it's for it. Or excellence, right? Creating excellence. That's what I've done all my life. And obviously, I'm also uh, uh, a patron of uh, Brasserie Blanc, which is a, a group of uh, brasseries and pubs, which I'm very proud of. Uh, and there's, uh, there are 40 of them. I was going to ask and, you how many uh, you have now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and beyond that, sure, there's a few other interests. Okay, I've got a I'm uh, the main consultant for Arsenal Football Club. I didn't bring my sh- Are you really? my scarf. I didn't know okay. that. Right. And, and chef as well. That means we have the best restaurant in a, with 670 guests. Right. All member clubs, which has been a fantastic relationship. Uh, equally, uh, uh, I work for Eurostar uh, for the last 10 years as well. 17 years Arsenal. Uh, are uh, you an Arsenal fan then? Yeah, yeah very much so. All oh, right, okay. Very much so, yes. Yeah, My sons are Manchester okay, United, okay. okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, then then uh, Eurostar for about 10 years. It's a great joy. I love Eurostar because the connection from one country to another, one city to another, enrichment of culture, of art, of music, of, of language. Of, of culture, love that, yeah, okay, and I love Cisadiza, and we have three stars on the on the SRA Sustainable Restaurant Association, of which I'm the president. Right, so you're not really that busy then. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> just <laughs> taking it easy, <laughs> and, and obviously I'm working with an extraordinary teams, both in Barcelona and in Madrid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I mean. I didn't realize you did all these extra things. I, th- I thought I knew what I was talking about, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. there we are. But yeah, yeah, yeah well, please, uh, my business partner, who's also a Frenchman uh, and also an Arsenal fan, that, uh, that you're an Arsenal fan. So, so there we are. Well, I mean, there's a lot to get into today. You've had a hell of a journey so far in hospitality, and that's fair to say. So take us all the way back to the beginning of your career, life, whatever it was, was the first kind of, how did the the spark for hospitality kind of enter you? I will start by home, my family, yep. because they are the cornerstones of practically all of my values. And values, I'm talking about people's values, training, passing on your knowledge to young people, uh, ethics. Uh, my mom is all about organic values, purity, authenticity of the food, provenance of the food. It had to be, it has to be, Close to home, yeah. Because with close, and and, she, and of course she bred into me seasonality, seasons. Everything we do here is driven by seasons. That's why I gave le, my first business where we won a two-star Michelin, a tiny little place between the ladies' underwear and Oxfam. <laughs> so nothing glamorous. <laughs> okay, with red and white tablecloths, six or seven hand, 
a cheap prince of Paris on the wall, a cat macocrel, and I painted the faces bleu, blanc, rouge. So you knew you entered a, f- a French restaurant. Right. It was way back in 1977. And my, and the kitchen was no bigger than that, that little room we're in. Right. Okay, with a 1920 oven with no bottom, okay, and uh, Kenwood, I remember, 1950. <laughs> right. Okay, so that's how it all started, okay. Uh, humble so, beginnings. Uh, very then. humbly, but that's why we won our first Star Michelin the same year, and two years after, in 81, two Star Michelin. Yeah. And 19 and 20 in Gomeo and all the world guards. So it was really an extra, and, but it started home in my family. What do I mean by that? I come from a working class background, and my papa... We had very little money, we had five kids, and uh, we had to feed these five kids. First, my papa built his own house, okay, wow. with his own hands. Right. It took him seven years in a beautiful house. Seven years, he would finish you know, at uh, seven o'clock or six o'clock at the factory, and all night he would work up to one o'clock in the morning, you know, building his house. My life. So he yeah. gave me what I received from him his morality. And work ethics. Yeah. Work ethics. Work hard, you're more likely to achieve something. Then around his house, he built a huge garden because the land was inexpensive. It was in a poor part of France, uh, the, between the rugged Jura Mountains and Burgundy. Okay. So it's a wine region, it's a food region, big forest when I used to hunt and gather the wild mushrooms. My father had given me a map where all these mushrooms, wild asparagus, berries would be. Right. So I had a deep understanding of food at a very early age. Yep. But he built a huge garden about half the size of Le Manoir Quatre Saison, which is a big garden. That's a big to garden, To feed yeah. a family of seven who are almost self-sufficient with all policies, grain, vegetables, herbs, that we would, my mother would uh, uh, cook, you know, and preserve uh, etc. Et so I learned so much, and from the age of seven, I helped my father to uh, look after the garden. Right. And that means first turning the soil, that he would do that because I was too small to do it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that means rowing, uh, hoeing between the row, removing the grass, which seems to grow out of this bloody garden, <laughs> so to speak, because as a kid, it was really, whilst my friend, my friends were playing football, I was working at least three hours a day in a garden. Yeah. Okay. So it was a, not a love affair to start with. Yeah. But then I had every, every knowledge about seasonality, about when to plant the seeds, you know, what seed, what vegetables, what variety of vegetables. For example, potato. My mom would never tell me, Raymond, get me some potato. Of course not. She would tell me, get me some binges. And I knew it was puree. Get me some Maris pepper. I knew it was French fries. Get me some, some, some rat. I knew it was saute potatoes, etc., etc. Every salad had a variety, okay, and a use a culinary use for it. Yeah. So, so from from growing uh, to harvest, I had really a deep understanding of food at a very early age, and also what my mom taught me. Okay, that food is an act of love. Remember that food was gathered and preserved because all the a lot of it we would eat, and the rest of it would be preserved. And I would pod these tons of 
peas and top and tails, these ton of beans that my mum would preserve into jars. And the most beautiful sight I remember and smells was in the cellar. I would go in the cellar and there was one single bulb, very low voltage, which diffused a yellow light, not to germinate the potatoes which were resting off the ground. Okay, and you would have everything, carrots, you would have the turnips, you could have the chicory, you would have all the vegetables, potatoes, beetroots, and so on, mm. all covered with a, a sack of jute, you know, very rough material to prevent it from the light. Right. And then you would have a big barrel that would keep dripping, and uh, it was the best still life. I wish I had been a painter. And that, this huge cellar, which had this, the footprint of the house would feed the whole family for about nine to ten months of the year. Wow. So I have a deep, and it's all about seasonality, yeah, sure. about purity of produce. So, and, and of course, my mom taught me that food is an act of love, that the table is a most powerful medium on which to share a moment with one's family, one's loved one, one's friends. And drink and be merry and, and have an argument sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the food is such an important part of it. And all these values, I brought them at the Manoir Cat Saison and at Brassi Blanc as well. Uh, but Manoir is, um, uh, that means it's all organic. Uh, we have 12 gardens. 12? Okay, 12, no. 12 gardens, yes. Wow. We've got a water garden, we have a, a Japanese tea house garden. Some so some of these gardens are inspired by my culture, some others from other cultures I've traveled into, which have enriched me. I don't feel confused. I know who I am. I'm 120% of a Frenchman, and the 100% is who I am. That's what my family, my, my, my village, and the values I was given, and the rest is what my wonderful English friends have given me. Okay, and, and travels. Travels mean, and, but I'm not confused. I know who I am. And when I travel, whether it is Southeast Asia or Japan or China, I will always bring something, not to confuse my culture, but to enrich it, like a rich tapestry. Yeah. And that's what I, I bought in. That's why there's so much creative force everywhere. And yes, and there are 12 gardens, and there will be seven more. In the, next, in, the in next two years. And there will be a bee village that we are starting now. Okay, so imagine half the plant of the little prince cut in half, uh, the rockery, the lavender, the black sage, all these things, and then these houses, which should be real, real houses. So the children will come, we will teach the kids, the adults will, oh, will tell, uh, will, you know, telling a story, always telling a story. Yeah. Okay, so then the bee village, we're doing chicken houses, which should be gypsy houses, but it's not just romantic values. It's about also learning about experiences, growing food. So the chicken will give the nitrogen, okay, into the soil. They pick up aphids from the trees, okay, and we will change. Of course, the ants will give beautiful eggs for our guests yeah. every morning, fresh, totally, of course, super organic. Yeah. You know, and plus the gypsy houses can be moved because the chicken can create lots of damage, move to another place in the orchard, okay. Etc. So everything. So then there will be a, a vineyard that we are building as well. An extraordinary story, which I don't have time. Yeah. Totally organic. Will be the first organic vineyard in Great Britain with organic vines. Right. 
and only the first one has been has been agreed in Champagne. Right. And right, my right. partners are Hundred Zill, just next door, a local, amazing, uh, sparkling wine. I was about to say Champagne, but you cannot call it Champagne. Yes. Okay. But amazing sparkling wine, amazing skills, and they will help us to vinify the wine, etc. So, and then another partner with uh, an extraordinary uh, scientist and vigneron, say two, bro- two brothers and a son, and they are the first one to create rootstock to fight global warming. And all the viruses and insects who are coming in the vineyards and the vegetables or the orchard. And they've now worked out with the Institute of Vin de France to create this, this rootstock, which is absolutely you know, resistant to all these diseases, totally organically, not through genetically modified uh, processes, but through crossbreeding programs. Yeah. It's exciting and will be the first to have such a vine. Right. That's amazing. So it's so always creating something beautiful. Around it, of course, I will put musca, red musca of Alsace, for table wines, and around it there will be lavender, and that's going to be such a beautiful. And the middle of it, there will be guests who will be able to stay in the vineyard, enjoy a glass of wine or God. fruit juice or apple juice from our own orchard. So it's always creating something for others. It's never for you. Yeah. It's not about you. It's about our guests about providing, I guess, the very best experience. So there's a, as other gardens, there will be a proper farm, three-acre uh, vegetable garden, which will grow all the main crops. There will be also refrigeration rooms as well to keep these vegetables. We can keep them longer. We can lengthen the seasons. Okay, so there will be an art garden, a raw cookie school, an art school, a medicinal herb garden. We're redoing completely our culinary herb garden as well. So it's really exciting, you know, My this word. palette of new experiences that our guests will have. And that all that comes from my home, from my family, from my Maman Blanc, who has given me so much in terms of value, in terms of people, creating an environment which is conducive to joy, to celebration, to food. And our industry is the very best. I don't know any other industry which is as rich, has got so many layers. Because look, if you're a young man, like I was, I don't have a single degree. I failed miserably my A-levels, <laughs> but I was not really interested. Yeah. Okay. And yet... Yet, I'm the chef patron of a multi-million pound business. Uh, we have 1,300 employees in Brassy Blanc, 250 at Le Manoir Quatre Saisons. Yeah. And, and, and in each of these business, as a young person, my God, what an opportunity to come and join us. Totally. I could not agree to, more. To come and join us because in this industry, you, can, you learn everything. You learn gardening, you learn the food, the soil science, environment, provenance. You know, you learn about, you learn about growing food. You learn how to cook the food. You learn trainings, HR, PR, marketing. You can be a ma- great maintenance person and a great sommelier, a fantastic front of house manager, a general manager. Those are all, and it's only a few pallets. Yeah. Of, of, uh, where an industry is so rich and so beautiful. Yeah. Well, look at your own, what you've got your head in 
at the moment in terms of you you have hotel, you have restaurants, you have stadia catering, you have trains. You know, that's that's four arms to the industry that are, you know, it doesn't even scratch the surface as to what yeah. else can be done uh, in the industry. It's so wonderful to sit here and, and listen to you talk about it because I, I don't think I've sat in front of anybody who's more passionate uh, about it. And it's great to see as well that even though Le Manoir on the face of it has had so much success and has such a wonderful reputation, is that you're not sitting on your hands. You know, you're you're not resting on what it is now. You're still focused on what it can yet become. It's all about tomorrow. It's not about yesterday. Yeah. It's the day is done. It's about tomorrow. It's just and you prepare tomorrow ten years ahead. And what I mean is constantly, if you have a dish, for example, and maybe that's a good analogy, and it's a beautiful dish. But if you stop looking at it with curiosity, that dish will be dead in no time. Yeah. Equally, I think luxury is at last changing. So is our industry. So I'm going to briefly talk about why luxury is changing. This post-pandemic effect has been mega important. In so much, on one hand, we've got a lot of young people who have a lot of fragility. Okay. Yeah. And many say, uh, many people condone these young people. Oh, they're lazy. No. I disagree with that. It's up to us to change our industry completely. Yeah. By creating an environment which is conducive to creativity, support, training, proper, proper. We have two days induction here, two days. Right. Where they go in every department. Because if you start to to go, for example, in housekeeping, you start understanding that your headache is no worse than their migraine and you start respecting what other people do. So we do a lot of cross-training programs as well. Okay, so you understand that vision that are, are, are brought in Le Manoir now is owned not just by me, it's owned by everyone. Yeah. And that is something magnificent. It's humbling even when I see a young person, you know, just show the guest, you know, how he's growing his food or how he's, uh, how he's cooking that dish or... It's humbling the way everyone owns that vision. It's part of his intelligence, his emotions, his, his value completely. It's exciting. And, uh, and uh, that's what I love the most to, to look at, you know, to yeah. see these young people growing. And it's up to us to change this environment for too long. Our industry, and that goes back to hundreds of years, huh? we have not changed our industry. We had that big pool of staff which kept replenishing and we, we grabbed them and disposed of them. Now we have to change. Yeah. And it was okay to work, okay, 48 hours, then you did another 10 hours or 20 hours extra. It was right over. Now we need to reinvent our industry completely through training, proper training, proper management, which contain emotional intelligence, Really wish where managers are trained to emotionally to really understand young people, to, 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 to grow them, to make them independent, confident, so there is success. You never train by fear. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Do you know that the thing about that is, is that I had a conversation recently with a, a lovely lady called Varian Palmer, and she had a, a, a quote which she uses quite simply, which is the, the standard that you accept is the standard that you walk past. Yeah. And 
that's very much to, to do with yeah, but to do with the kind of the luxury mindset, and that's all about you know if you're walking past a, a napkin that's on the floor and you choose voilà. to walk past it, you you would pick that up normally. Yeah. Otherwise, you accept that that's yeah. the standard you want. We need to apply the same mindset to how we deal with people and how we look after but people. Also, it goes beyond that. We have to look as well. It's okay for you, but we need to condemn as soon as we possibly can. It's going to take some time. I understand. Yeah. All these split shifts is cruel. Yeah. How can you come at seven o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock, work until three, have a two or three hour break? What do you do with it? Yeah. And then come back home at 12 o'clock, do the second part of the service. We need to stop that. We need to reinvent our industry completely. Yeah. Okay, completely. We need to as well to bring down the number of hours that people do and come to eventually to four days a week. And that will happen, and very fast, because we are completely in a different sphere than Europe. Europe is already there. Right. We are liberal countries, so effectively we act with all this permissive approach to our industry, and it's over, and it's up to us to reinvent it completely. Yeah. On all levels, training, support, number of hours, a number of days off, and and that and you will see why on earth, when you know the extraordinary beauty and, and ability to any for anyone to come see the industry with not a single degree, and come out you know a usually successful, well wealthy person. Yeah. Okay. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. have the opportunity. You know, you can come in with yeah. with zero qualifications. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yet, you can still walk yeah. away having huge career success, Absolutely. huge Absolutely. monetary and travel, success. Not only that, but you also can travel all over the world. When you have sees when you've gone from a young apprentice or commie and you move on through the demi-chef de party, demi-chef chef de party, junior sous-chef, sous-chef, and after four years training, you are reaching the position of senior sous-chef or chef, you can travel all across the world. Yeah. And you are safe. Your life is safe. Yes, totally. As well. Uh, and you have, and Arctic Industries is, a, is wonderful as what it can offer to young people. But we have committed some serious mistakes. And if you look at the past, and it's important to look at the past to understand where we need to go. Yeah. When you remember when we used to somehow glorify violence and you would see many of these programs completely humiliating a young person in front of 10 million audience yeah. of television. Yeah, no, okay. we're picking up the And you would have 10 now, million morons watching this program thinking it's great. Yeah. It's over. These programs, all that. And I think it's up to us you know, to, to reinvent the industry completely. And, yeah. and we will. And I know many, many chefs and Hoteliers, etc., are, are joining this force, this energy, which is going to to really re reinvent completely our, play, our industry. But it's really interesting. For example, why? Why on earth, when you have four, five, six, sometimes seven TV programs a day on food and t uh, cooking programs, and yet we cannot find young people yeah. coming to industry? Yeah, it's because of us, and we're going to change that. We're going to fix it make it such an extraordinary industry that everyone, every parent, every mom will want to send their kids to, 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 to our place. Yes. I know, and we will succeed. 
Yes. I, I almost want to high five you. <laughs> it's um, because it's, you know, it takes, it takes one person to realize it takes everyone else to come to the party. That's the, the, the thing, but it can be done. There's no point in us moving forward unless we believe that it can it can be done. Also, having, having said that, having said that, still there is a, a, a dilemma here because to succeed, you don't don't mistake it. You need to work hard. Yeah, absolutely. And now, because hours are going to be more and more limited, you know, uh, if you are imposed, uh, I don't know, uh, seven or eight hours a day. You know, can you learn enough in that much of time? Okay, I say, and I say, yes, you can. Yeah. But, you know, the problem is, what about the young businesses who start and say only four in the kitchen? I'm sorry, but you have to work hard and long hours. Yeah. So that's a dilemma. Okay, how are we going to do so young businesses who start? When you establish like us, okay, you can, you, do you understand? You have you know, all your... There's a, there's a structure of organization, structure, etc. Yeah. Okay. And it took many, many years. When I started, I was working, and my my chefs and I must say, sixteen hours a day. We were, yeah. we were. But that was a different time. Now we're moving into a different time where we're so much aware okay, of uh, mental breakdown, uh, the fragility of. Uh, okay. So there's. Yeah. So, but in the past, it was it, that didn't exist. Yeah, no, no, I, I completely agree. It, it's about balance, right? And, and yeah, we, we, and we need to create that balance. We can't revolutionize overnight. No. But you have to make a step and keep making Many more steps. steps. And, yeah, fast yeah. and plan them. Yeah. Don't say it, plan it. This year I want to achieve that. Next year I want to achieve that. And plan ahead as well. Yeah. Otherwise it's just talk, talk, talk. And yeah. then nothing change. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, and we need to change as well because we're shortage of staff. Yeah. And you have to ask why do you have a shortage of staff? Well, because industry is exciting, but the the, the training inside is still too low, okay, uh, uh, and the, the hours too long, okay. So it's up to us to really change that, and we are changing it. More flexible hours as well, you know, for for. Many women would want to join, and other young people would love to join our industry, but we have to, we've got to be made much more flexible, much more approachable. Yeah. And already we see it at Le Manoir. Oh my God, we've got so many young people coming three hours. So housekeeping now, we, and we are now reaching in most of our departments about 40, 42 hours a week. Still the kitchen where it's still, but within a year we'll get where we want to be. Brilliant. Yeah. But I think the thing with that is, is that, you know, it's the easy option is to hire somebody who can work the hours that you desire them to work. But actually, the more difficult thing to do is to be flexible to the individual and make yeah, your business work absolutely. around it. But it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done and can't be done. It's, it's just we have to change your, it your is thinking. Done. It's already done here in yeah. a number of years. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's really, really exciting. I think our industry and luxury also will have to change. Luxury in the past was all about gold, about the outside. Luxury was polluting. Luxury was excessive. Luxury didn't care. Yeah. Now luxury, whatever luxury, whether it is a, a beautiful watch, a beautiful dress, cashmere jacket, whatever it is, or a beautiful restaurant, all luxury sector will change. 
and that does include all cars, uh, does include every single bit of like, what it is your sweater, your shirt, was it, why is it made, what is it made of, yeah. is it sweatshops, etc. And the same for cars, for example, you take Mercedes now, they are, before there was no recycling, was now we're investing into seriously billions of pounds into recycling things. In 95% of the Mercedes, for example, are recycled. Yeah. Before you throw it away, it didn't care. Yeah, yeah. So the throw away approach to it was now we are, there's a constant, so luxury is changing. Luxury as well in a hotel is not the gold or the heavy trappings and the ancestors looking at you in a disapproving manner. It is about, you know, about elegance, a quiet elegance, about purity of the food you are giving, local values, about, about, and also experiences. That's why those yeah. gardens are here. I want to give, we want to give to our guests the most extraordinary experiences, which are real, which are exciting. Yeah. And, and, and of course, when it's given with love, and you see it on any one of these young people looking after you while they own it. Yeah. And, and, and to give joy. to that total stranger the best moment of their life is something really exciting. Yeah. And you see it in front of you. And they tell you, so industry, yes, is ex I, I look at our industry and I look at, at its future and I see an extraordinarily wonderful future. Yeah. I'm, I'm eminently, and I could talk to you about this kind of stuff all day, but I'm eminently aware of the fact that we've kind of come away from your story a little bit in the sense that I'd still like to explore how you made that transition from gaining okay. all of your values from your, your parents in terms of the things that were important to you to then becoming okay. a chef. Yeah. And, or how did that happen? How did that process come into play? Well, from home, obviously, uh, my mom and my papa and my village, my own culture. I live in a little village. Uh, Sown, okay, 600 people, lots of cows because uh, our gastronomy is based on, on milk, on cheese, on uh, as well pig. Uh, we have uh, no sausage de mortos, a small, uh, so it's a very rural environment, unsophisticated. So that's big forest, okay, which uh, I would uh, somehow, you know, hunt and gather. I was rich at the age of 10 years of age because uh, I would sell, I would give some to my mom and the rest I would sell to uh, on the street or the chefs actually gave you the best money for your produce, whether it is wild asparagus, berries, wild mushrooms, etc. Et yeah. uh, so I have a deep understanding of this seasonality. We change our menu here every, every month. So that's, that's come from my, from, from my, from, from my home, from how I was brought up. Okay. So, so then after, I should have been a chef from the age of six, but I, did, <laughs> I didn't think about it. Okay. Now, because my grandmother was a farmer, so a keeper of a castle. So I, I'd learned to make wine. Uh, I'd, uh, I'd seen, you know, all, I lived it. You understand? Yeah. Um, so I had a deep, deep understanding at a very early age. Okay. Of, uh, from seeds to, to grow a beautiful vegetable or beautiful fruit, it is grown because I was part of the process. So I had all that knowledge, but I never thought of becoming a chef. I don't know why. Really? I'm absolutely missing my mind. Incredible. But I absolutely. Yeah. So then I waited and I waited, and then I was directed uh, to be a, a, 
draftsman or an architect, but unfortunately, <laughs> I know I hated squares, I hated rectangles, <laughs> I hated anything so geometrical, and I loved anything asymmetric, you know, which had curves and so on. Uh, and, and equally, I was not mathematical, I was not, uh, um, you know, uh, a science-led person. So I stopped, and I looked, I stopped because I wanted to find my passion. And I would advise every young person or older person, please find your passion. Yeah. It's worth it. It totally Because is. when you find it, it leads you some, through some extraordinary roads, you know, and self-discovery and, yeah. and, and beauty and, and emotions like you, you will give to others and you, you will have in yourself which are fantastic. So it's worth to look for that curiosity. And I looked for that curiosity. I became a nurse. Uh, then I saw about 10 young people dying of leukemia in front of me in a year, and I couldn't deal with it. It was too much. Right. So, but the idea of becoming a nurse is interesting. It's about giving to other people. It's very relatable uh, to hospitality. Tells you a hell of a lot, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And then, but I couldn't deal with the uh, impact of these kids, you know, which we were hoping to leave, and they would die in the hospital. It takes a very special person, So, so then I stopped as well. Then I became, in, I went in a factory. And that was the most dehumanizing moment of my life, where you are nobody. You enter, you, you, how do you call that? You clock in. You clock in. Yeah. Nobody knows you. You do the same movement every moment of these eight hours you're going to work, and you go crazy. And you go, and you move out less. You are shut. You live in a shadow. Nobody knows your name. What you do, you have no... And that I really got scared. And then I got my break. I was lucky. And right. I was lucky. I saw this restaurant in the middle of my city in a full August. What a beautiful evening as well. A beautiful terrace in the middle of my, middle of my, my home city, Besançon. And I saw this guests, you know, holding hands, you know, and so on. And uh, the waiters with a purple jacket and the silver epaulette serving the guests, you know, flambéing the pancakes, the maître d'hôtel with their black tie. It was like a ballet, you know, just the maître d'hôtel flambéing, you know, carving the cheese or, or fish. Oh, my God. I fell in love so strongly, so immediately with food. And I said, I want to be the chef who makes this beautiful food. Right. Not the waiter, the chef. Right. The creator. Very of this clear food. in your head. Oh, it was suddenly, that moment was the most important moment of my life. Right. Because I, it was so obvious, immediate, powerful. I was that chef. So the day after I made an interview <laughs> with, with a, the boss, was an older man. It was a gray suit, gray eyes, gray hair, everything gray. And I told him I would be the best chef in the world. Right, okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> Four by one that's hour. a hell of a vision. So he listened yeah. to me. So, so it's a good, important vision. Yeah. He listened to me and he looked at me and he said, okay, I'll give you a job, young man. I'll give you cleaning department. Say so, yes, sir. Thank you very much. Right, well, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, absolutely, yes. So uh, and cleaning I, is very important. <laughs> I became the best cleaner in no time, and I would do this big mirrors. It's an 18th century building. These big mirrors, I would go up onto my ladder, okay, and I would take my vinegar and my paper and shine those mirrors until there was not a single smear. It was like Versailles. The toilets, everything, everything was gleaming. Then I became 
washing up and he lost my hands because there was no chemicals. He had no gloves. All right. Scrub, Remember, I'm scrub, an old boy, scrub. you know, we're talking about here, 60s, right, 70s. Okay. Eh? Yes. Okay. So then I was to the glass, glass department, and I love my glasses because they were so fragile. They were whole hand blown. They were, and every Frenchman would eat at least four dishes with four different ones. Right. <laughs> at lunch, <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. at dinner, okay. Yeah. And they were beautiful. And I learned, I even bought my linen cloth from my grandmother. Okay, I just, and, and clean my, caress, caress my glasses. And I, in no time, I, I, I cut down the breakage by half. Right. And my sommelier loved me because the glasses were beautiful. They didn't have to check them up. Everyone was happy around me. And of course, what we, what we couldn't do now, and I must say what I did do, and out of curiosity, I tested about every single one okay, left in the bottle or on the bottom of the glass, which is not very healthy. But I would think I wanted to know, because my father would only drink a local one, so suddenly I, I would test knowledge. it. Exactly. Not to get drunk, because a drunk chef doesn't go very far, you know, yeah, yeah. in life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I tested, and I knew in six months, I knew all my Pinot Noir from my Gamay, my Cabernet Sauvignon from my Syrah, my Syrah from, from my Mouvedre, etc. And meanwhile, I would be reading all night and cooking for my friends. Reading about what? About food science, food history, uh, uh, food, food love. Uh, food, food, nutrition. So basically, I would read all the top classics of the great chefs, like Karim, like Escoffier, etc. All these great, great, great chefs. I would read their histories, what they were doing at the time. So I didn't sleep really. And and then I, I took, I would cook for my friends until four. Whatever. I had a life so full. Of course, you were young, but I, I was. I had found. I had, I was in love with food. Right. I was in love, not just food. Oh, my little belly, all I earn is for you. That's important. But I was in love with food and creating an environment around food where you feel comfortable, you feel well, about serving food, you know, uh, about you know, connecting with other people because you're a team. And actually, after the glass experience, and of course, everyone loved me. The boss loved me because I cut down the breakage by half. Okay, the sommelier loved me. Okay, said Arthur because they were very clean. And so basically, I was surrounded with people who were appreciating me as a cleaner, as a wash glass a washer up, a glass washer up. Yeah. And I became a waiter, and I loved it too. Right. Because it's in my nature. Remember, once I was a nurse, I love the people. I love people. Yeah. Okay. No, as a, as a waiter. And I, w- I wear that Bordeaux jacket, which I saw first two years ago or a year and a half ago, and with that silver epaulette, and I was a commis de rang, okay? And I had a marvelous teacher, Jean, I still remember him. He was a brilliant maitre d'hôtel. He liked me, he looked after me, he supported me, and a mentor was important. For sure, yeah, And yeah. then I realized, effectively, big realization that... Big one, eh? what makes success in a business, create a successful business, is an ensemble of people, and each of them believe, whether they're washer-up, cleaner, 
uh, you know, front of us, uh, waiter or chefs, they all believe the same, that they, they love what they do and they're good at it. Yeah. And I realized that, that I remember, it was so clear, suddenly, oh my God. So to create a business, you need to be each of us, you know, good at what you're doing, the best at what you're doing, and also work with other the members of the team. Big, big revelation for me. Right. And how old would you have been at oh, this I point? I was about uh, uh, 18. Oh, wow. So still very young then. Like, I, I, in my head, yeah. I was thinking mid-20s 19, or 19, something. 18, right? 19, because I was then service, military service after. Yeah. And I left uh, to England. But then after, everything went wrong. Okay. <laughs> so I learned to carve. I learned to flambe. And I was always the best, but took too long. <laughs> I <Right>. was <laughs> but always okay. the guests were absolutely flambe. The club Suzette carving the, the langoustine or the lobster, you know. Oh, it was right. fantastic. That's very good, bus. Raymond. But there's four other tables. Yeah, exactly. But then I could come closer to the kitchen. And this kitchen were hard. And the, maid, the, the chef was a... A giant, you know, with a moustache, you know, big moustache, dark eyes, big hands. And I saw him, you know, thumping down a young commie. Frightening personality. Right. And scary, and really scary. And, but I wanted to make a friend of him, so I started to talk to him and taste the sauces, and I could taste the sauces. Chef, what about time bit of sabayong to lighten that sauce? Or could we replace half of the cream with a bit of milk? <laughs> or what about a bit of smoked paprika, a bit of lime juice here? <laughs> right. And, and I realized, actually, Just waiting there for was, him to no, over the head with there a was no discussion. And uh, at one stage, he just, just took a cup upon and slammed it in my face. Oh, and wow. I was uh, in hospital, broken jaw, and... Uh, I lost my job. On that day, I lost my job. I lost my job, and I was then exiled to Great Britain. So <laughs> I didn't come like Napoleon right. know, on a white horse. <laughs> oh, know. that's brilliant. I had, uh, you know, I had visions of how the, the move to Britain happened. That's not the vision I had at all. But, you know, I, ultimately, France's loss has absolutely been our gain, for sure. But, yeah, so... Um, so I didn't come like Napoleon on a white horse. Yeah. All conquering. I came here with my little suitcase, very humbly. What do I do now? In this country. Yeah. And, I, and the boss, very kindly, because he saw, he, he came to see me after, said, Look, you know, the chef, he put a house, a roof over my head. He's a creative power. I know he's not always a nice man, but he's everything to see his house. And you tell him, We cannot cook. <laughs> So it's not about yeah. intention, but yeah, yeah. I wanted to make a friend, yeah, yeah. and I made an yeah, enemy. because you were curious, right? And then, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay, so, but I saw you from cleaning to washer-up, to glass washer-up, to waiting, and you will go very far, and I'm going to help you. So that's why he found me a place in Britain. So I was also exiled, okay, yeah. in France, from France to go in Gelbritain. Yeah, you can't come back here. <laughs> no, but, exactly, uh, yes. But we have something and, for and you uh, over and there. He, yeah. he found me a place, actually, uh, where I started uh, uh, as, a, as a chef de rang, because by the time I'd graduated, uh, and I was uh, working uh, as a waiter, effectively, in England, okay, uh, at the Rose Revive, that's where I started. Right, uh, too close to Whitney, not far away from here. Actually, I see. I go there occasionally. Yeah, and that's what started. And it was a frightening experience because uh, England was in a throw of uh, 
There was no food culture. The food was horrendous. It was the 70s, 72 when I arrived. Okay, right. And it was really frightening. I remember the first time I took a, was a ferry to discover British gastronomy. And I took an In English ferry. Commas. And I saw these uh, fish and chips which arrived. And I could smell it three, three meters away. So there was so much vinegar. Right. And the fish was actually rectangular, and I've never seen a rectangular fish in my <laughs> life, in my, because we fished it, and we let the ball, and the fish had a tail, it had a head, but that one was rectangular. I've never seen that in my life. Yeah, yeah. No, no, truly. And, uh, and the, the chips were gray and horrible. Oh, say, my God, Raymond, where, where are you going? Yeah. <laughs> it was well, really a frightening moment. And, and of course, then I first saw a little restaurant, which was, um, which I thought it was all red, so I thought it was a little bistro, and I entered. It was a plastic tomato on the top of it, you know, and everything was microwaved, everything was... Right. Was, so it was really a, the first part of England was really quite of a shock, you know, because England had lost completely its food culture. Did you see a, an opportunity at that point yeah, in terms of... of yeah, like, If this is the bar, which is very, very low, I already have... Probably more passion than the whole of the UK food scene in my body mm-hmm. alone. Um, I have an opportunity to yeah, yeah. Was that happened? There? Elevate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. actually, it happened when the, the chef fell ill, and the chef was uh, everything was cooked in advance. Everything was poor quality. Everything. So the chef fell ill, and then he was he was taken out. So the the owner asked, "Can somebody cook here?" I said, "I can." Right. And I started. And I remember because when I arrived in the kitchen, I bought the tallest hat I could find. Because <laughs> I had seen chefs wearing this, yeah, yeah, this the big, big hat. <laughs> and I put a pencil into it because I saw it as well. Right. I could barely enter the kitchen. And actually, my signature <laughs> is still that now. Look at my signature. Yeah. So that's my hat. Yeah. Okay, I mean, it was the 70s. That means I had long hair. I lose my hair. I'm still smiling. Fantastic. So it's completely childlike. But uh, yeah, for context, is... Raymond's just drawn me a picture. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'll, uh, maybe I'll take a picture of that and I'll uh, I'll show that. Uh, and um, yes, yeah, so so and and from then on, I I remember because my English was very poor. So I bought a book of Constance Fry. Right, it was a great English writer, and she was scientifically interested in in uh, you know the denaturation of food and so on. And she was a historian at the same time, and I read her book. So in that book, gave me everything. I learned lots of uh, British, about British history, British culture, British food science a little bit, okay? And I learned, of course, about British food overall. So yeah. it was a big moment. And it took me basically a year and a year to work. Meanwhile, I was cooking, in no time, we were on a Michelin in a year, okay, in just one year. And right. uh, that's when I decided I'm going to open. I went to Germany after for a while because I wanted to learn another language. I had done eight years of uh, German in first language. And then I opened, I worked a little bistro in uh, La Sorbonne, in Bleu Blanc Rouge, in uh, Oxford for two years. Because I, and I became chef and uh, Front of us person, so I was doing both at the same time. Don't ask me how, <laughs> but I did, and I got the most extraordinary souvenir. And then I opened my little place, so, in the Quatre Saisons. Which we'll absolutely get on to in a second. But actually, 
in my own head, I'm finding it quite incredible that you had uh, a situation whereby you had been exiled from France, as it were, came to here and took a took a role, and actually, with no not monumental amounts of training, really, no. years and years and years and no, years behind you, that within a year you had uh, a Michelin star. Well, um, yes, when I opened my little cat saison, yes, in one year, so I opened 77, 79, first star Michelin, 81, two star Michelin. Right, yeah. And okay, and 1920 on Gourmet, uh, European chef, you know, there was lots of awards who came in, and I was a young kid starting, and, I, and that was, I missed a mentor. And actually, there's a beautiful story after. I missed a mentor very much. Right. Because a mentor will guide you and will help you. That's why you go through apprenticeships. That's why, you know, so, so yes, a mentor enriches you, train you, and prepare you, you know, for, for bigger challenges and give you the skill and confidence. Mm. That's what a mentor does. I didn't have that. Yeah. Okay, so when I started in 77, I remember, my God, how tough I was working 16, 18 hours a day, only one day of Sunday, and you were broken. Yeah. Uh, completely shattered, and you look at the latest cut, you know, uh, and you, you you look like a 40-year-old rather than a 20, yeah. 26-year-old. Okay. But what was really interesting, that's where really I learned, it's not about getting two-star Michelin three years. And that was important because, of course, it gave me a number of things. Immediately I started. Well, first, the first thing before that, something happened. Because I knew, because I was self-taught, I lacked some technique, some knowledge. And I was looking, so I bought all the books of science that I, got, uh, I could put my hands on. Right. But all these books of science were written, of course, by scientists, so I didn't understand a word <laughs> what they were talking about. <laughs> but every year I would go to the symposium of Oxford, okay, of, uh, on gastronomy, and they have all the top scientists speaking uh, at this. But there was no chefs, huh? zero chefs. Right. It was just scientists, four scientists. But I would always find a space to come and listen to these scientists in the hope I could find one one day, because sometimes my 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 souffle didn't quite rise as high, my puff pastry made leak. So I wanted to understand all the the denaturation process, you know, through wet heat, through steaming, through roasting, through pan frying, so etc. etc. Our food changes, and you need science, and I need science. So I needed to understand, and uh, eventually, after many years. I suddenly, uh, so there was Maggie, there was all the great philosophers, there was uh, the very young uh, French uh, chemist, biochemist, uh, I'll give you his name later, yeah. okay, and, but there was one suddenly, and I couldn't understand what they were talking about, and suddenly one man took the chair and he spoke food science. It was Professor Curti, and I could understand every word. Every word was resonating into me. And he was able to explain very complicated process and make the chemical process and make them simple. I was the happiest man on earth. And I, when he came down and said, Sir, you let me be your apprentice. And he said, Oh, Monsieur Blanc. Because he had come in my restaurant, I didn't know. Right? Oh, Monsieur Blanc. Oh, that's about 
10 years I'm looking for a chef who is interested in chemistry. Interesting, right? And this man was Professor Curti, he created molecular gastronomy and it changed my life. Right. He helped wow. me enormously. So Ambre's molecular, he created the word molecular, he coined the word molecular gastronomy. And the first thing, three months after, I was facing 40 chemists and biochemists and scientists in Erisse. It was 1991. And, uh, I'm not sure, uh, at Erisse in Italy, okay, in Sicily, actually. Mm. And I was doing three demonstrations, one on bread and the yeast, you know, explaining basically, and they were... No, how they were effectively one on, on a sabayon. I don't remember the other one. But sabayon, for example, you know, for sabayon, it takes three egg yolk, Hollandaise uh, sauce. Fascinating, right? Hollandaise sauce, sabayon. Okay, so Hollandaise so, uh, sauce, three egg yolk, 250 grams of butter, okay, salt, pepper, lemon juice, or vinegar. My, my Hollandaise sauce was three egg yolk. 100 grams of water, 70 grams of water, and I warm up my sabayon, yeah, I yeah. coagulate my gill, yeah. okay, and then add 50 grams of butter. So you had this lightness. I had five times more volumes, complete lightness with lemon juice, a dash of cayenne pepper to carry on the flavors a bit longer, you know, and so everything was different. So also learn about bread, you know, what's happening when you make bread, you know, the yeast, you know, which fermented, you know, help the fermentation, okay, and the, it transforms itself, the acidic alcohol transforms in carbon dioxide, which creates a lifting power within bread, you know. Yeah. You know, and, and it was amazing, you know. And I was learning, so I became, I did a TV program after. I wrote a book, which was called Blancmange, which was the first book, one of the very first books of science, nobody was doing molecular gastronomy at the time. Yeah, no, no. I, I nobody, guess. nobody. And But then I feel in a dangered, undangered place. I felt it was not right. For me, food is a complete ensemble of science, of provenance, of, uh, of the wine, Person, the person who serves you, where the paysan who creates his beautiful vegetables, or the butcher who just creates that meat, the, the, all of this, the glassmaker, okay. Gastronomy is a complete ensemble. And science and nutrition, of course, are part of gastronomy, part of the food world. Yeah. So how can you, so the question I was asking myself, how can you have one, this perfect ensemble, destroyed by taking one part of it, which is science, and taking it outside of it. What you're creating here is fashion. Ah, right, right, right. And then I had Eston uh, uh, in my kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, Eston, that's for you. Right, <laughs> and off you go. Absolutely, yeah. and he took an Eston. <laughs> it was made for it. And well, but God, you know, did I, take it, didn't he? Yeah. But, you know, and I, and I stopped. But it has helped me enormously. And that's, of course, science is part you need to understand what's going on. Yeah. Okay, but it shouldn't be by putting it outside, you create something. Science is part of like nutrition, like the produce, like the craft of the chef, etc. It's part of it, not separated from. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, yeah. so, uh, uh, but it helped me enormously to understand all the technique effectively and the processes. 
and why stuff and happens. why and how yeah. and exactly yeah, yeah. so it was a uh, uh, yes absolutely uh, so I know the, I knew I learned to, to find the exact you know uh, moment when the creme caramel for him to take something simple is the best when the protein of the eggs just coagulate as a right and 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 you let it two minutes extra it's like too firm yeah you want it just melting and wobbling so and so I learned all these things and I and I, and I stopped molecular gastronomy but still read a lot about food science but uh, but it helped me. And actually, I remember this wonderful old professor who used to pedal bicycle from Oxford. He said it was 85. Two Roman season, And we had our own space where we do all our own trials. Okay. And his word was very simple. Laboratory. Look, Raymond, what I don't understand, we know how to go to the moon, yet we don't know what's happening in our souffles. <laughs> and he helped me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and he was my mentor. I mean, when you put it like that, yeah, yeah. it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so, and that is a very big moment in, a, you know, because if you look at the, all the different, move in a different direction at the moment here, because you have, if you look, Karem Cuisine, Escoffier Cuisine, who was a very modern chef who codified food, amazing, not anymore, because food moves on. There was the movement of Nouvelle Cuisine, we we are coming back now, reconnecting with your farmer, with yeah. your fisherman, all all natural produce, yeah. creativity. No, don't follow recipe from something. Create, okay, etc. So it's really exciting. Yeah, and that's even that's happening in people's houses, not just in restaurants yeah. as well. Like Absolutely, I, and that's something that uh, I I got inspired by a, a regenerative farmer who did a talk on regenerative farming techniques yeah, yeah and since then i you know that, that totally affects the meat and vegetables that i bring into my house i no longer buy from supermarkets you know i buy f- as where i can direct yeah. from farmers who are doing the right thing Still, with the land yeah. and, and all of that it's such a major thing now i think yeah, yeah. so so i think that's our values as well i mean i was the very first chef to create such a huge not a little potager but something a huge garden and for that from garden to plate, basically. Yeah. That was done when I opened. And, when, and of course, when I... So that story, uh, so my story to finish it, really, uh, uh, so we gained our two-star Michelin, and then I started to dream, you know, about a cottage or something like that. But one day on a Sunday morning, I saw this, this manoir, you know, country house, magazine, and I, it did something to me. So immediately I took my car. It was a, just jump, jump in my car, find out who owns the house, and went to Great Milton. I, uh, arriving at front of the gate, big gates, mm. which were rusty. Right. I fell in love with the dogs. Completely. Completely. Like you would fall in love with a woman. Yeah. Completely. And I, I just looked at it, and it was a grand little, Little, yeah, it was a grand little, grand but little entrance, or just hundred yards. Yeah. Okay, there was different gardens at different heights. There was this beautiful Yellowstone walls everywhere, you know, different structures. It was beautiful. Then the Elizabeth, Elizabeth and chimneys, and I completely fell in love with it, and that was it. Also, so then I didn't have the money. 
Right. I always remember, I'm going to cut this story short, but basically what I want to say to anyone, young person who listen, be bold, dare. People cannot just say no. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Dream. Make that dream happen. Okay, and I knock at that big door and that lady arrived, you know, with that appointment. And I thought it was a cleaner and actually it was Lady Cromwell. And <laughs> 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 she looked at me and said, Good morning. Uh, and, and she said, she said, who are you? Uh, and I said, no, what do you want? I want to buy your house. <laughs> but it was on the country house, which was not a house for sale, uh, privately, not for making it into a restaurant. Mm. I want to buy your house. But she said to me, but who are you? My name is Raymond Blanc. And she looked at me and she flashed all over and she left me and she just was making some teas, tea and you could hear the cutlery, you can see the, the, you know, the movement and the clinking of things. And she came out after with a bottle of milk, with a tin on the top of it and, uh, and the cups with the tea bags inside the, 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 the mugs. And, and she said, yes, Mr. Blanc, I will sell you my house for three reasons. The first, I came to your place with my two daughters and my husband, which was extraordinary. The kindness of your teams, beautiful food. And that was also the first time we were together as a family for a long time. It was an extraordinary celebration. Second reason, months after, my, my husband died. God bless. Absolutely. And that was a big trauma. My husband died. So effectively, your place was the last place where we were as a family. Oh, goodness. God, that's... And the third reason, if I don't sell you my house, my manor, which my ancestors have earned for hundreds of years, it would be transformed into flats. Right. And yeah. that would kill me. Yeah. So because of all of that, yes, I want to sell my house to you. Wow. And she helped me. She took Henri a horse and went to see every habitant okay, in the in, in the Great Milton, we knock at the door, say, I introduce Monsieur Blanc, is going to buy my house, okay, you're going to welcome him, you know, she was a <laughs> right. yeah. assertive well woman, the yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then the morning after, I remember always knocking, phone my GM, my, GM, my bank manager, I said, sir, um, I am going to have some news for you, I'm going to buy <laughs> Great Milton Manor. You know, yeah. and uh, and uh, there was this silence who never ended. You know, where is he gone? And then eventually, after maybe a minute, say, he said to me, "With what?" <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's a reasonable <laughs> of course, question. We were a young business. There was recessions after recessions. Right. There was fifteen percent interest rate. There was there was strikes. One day you didn't have electricity. The next you didn't. So imagine to 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 run a business like that. Uh, and I thought that's the best time to open a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, great. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and then, and I knew it. And I told him, with, my, with me, I was 51% of anything I will buy. There was another silence. He said, oh, maybe. And then something marvelous happened. I was lucky. Uh, Margaret Thatcher, which is not known to be uh, the best angel, created a business expansion scheme which gives to every investor the ability to invest tax-free 
in new businesses which will help England to reinvent itself. Right, 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 right. So, so effectively, every investor, uh, the pounds that you invest is only worth to you 30 pence or 20 pence or even 10 pence. So, and all my customers invested. Right. Okay. And of course, after now, we know now so that the original crowdfund is part of Belmont, but uh, part of Belmont and LVMH, which has bought Belmont just uh, a couple of years ago. Mm. Uh, but this house, and they know it and they respect it enormously, and have a huge, extraordinary relationship with Belmont and LVMH. And uh, they know that emotionally, aesthetically, in so many ways, intellectually, and in terms of its future, there's ownership. They know it. Yeah. And there's a relationship, which is a partnership, which is so beautiful. And so my job now is to prepare Le Manoir beyond me. And that's exciting. Right. And yeah. it's really exciting. We are right in the middle of it. As you know, we've got our planning permission. Yeah. No, indeed. And which took seven years. Uh, I did work three years at it uh, on a making some plans, concepts. And Fantastic. I mean, there's so much to unpack with yeah. your story. There's a couple of things that really sprung to mind as you were, you were talking away. Is one, kind of going back to when you were you know, cleaning glasses and cleaning in that restaurant, what came across to me was the pride that you were yeah. taking in your work. Do you think that originated, that that's all comes back to your, your, the, the values that were in... Childhood. Yeah. Complete, complete childhood. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Love and hard work. Yeah. Okay. And respectful. Don't throw it away. Yeah. My mom would always reuse everything. So recycle everything. You know, uh, uh, so yes, it's all my childhood. Uh, food is an act of love. Uh, that seed, that little seed is magical. It will grow into a beautiful leek, in a beautiful spinach, beautiful carrot. And you know, that act of, uh, of sharing the food around the table. And for me, I'm not just, I'm completely implicated in every design of every room, of every garden. So I create the dream. You know. Yeah. It's an extraordinary team of amazing people. Yeah. Okay. Well, what could I say? Uh, you realize that the team is everything. Team is everything. Yeah. Start you the beginning and bring the it end. alive if you don't. Of course, have, yeah, yeah. Of course. You can do it by yourself. No, indeed. <laughs> be, you can have the vision. For sure. You did yeah. definitely have had a yeah. vision. That's yeah. that's for sure. But there was a strong vision. Yeah, yeah. To carry that, and still is a strong vision. Yeah. The other thing that I really loved was kind of going back to your school and not not being especially academic. No. But actually, look at how academic you've become in terms of just because you've found the subject that you yeah. care about. Yeah. Because every t all the way through your story there, you were talking about the, I went and read a book on this, I went and read a book on that, and you know you became a well-read individual on the subject matter that you care deeply about. And you, much that. that's how you might not have been the, a chef who'd gone through the classic route of becoming who you've become in terms of you know, the, the, you know, the years and years of training that you have to do in various different places. But you've kind of found your own path because you just care about what you're doing you know and and that leads you to go well i don't have the the knowledge in that so i want to go and learn about that uh, and then to find a, a mentor who wasn't mm. even a chef like a, you know it wasn't even in the industry mm. as it were i, I just mm. 
I, you know, extraordinary people generally have extraordinary stories, and I, your your story has not disappointed. That's for sure. Thank you very much. One thing, but maybe which is important to say, the ability, you know, and, and a self-taught person understood that his profession, l'hotellerie, the restaurant business, the restaurant industry, was missing something big. His training, you know, missing that big element, and. Uh, here we've trained about 40 Michelin star chefs. Yeah. Hundreds of top craftsmen and women. You know, we passed on knowledge. We've been generous. And that's the whole idea of being generous with your knowledge. Pass it on. You know, so by passing it on, you enrich yourself in getting a better manager, have a better understanding of managing people. Yeah. You learn yourself, and you pass on knowledge, you enrich somebody else. Yeah. Who, who in turn, that person will enrich somebody else. Yeah, yeah. And that's the whole reason to keep the ideas for yourself. Share them. Yeah. That's the values we have here, and they are powerful, and they're strong. That's why we've been such a powerful trainers in the industry, and we're renowned for that. Yeah. And we have every general is amazing, he, he or she. And we have a team which is very cohesive. Is really united in the same towards the same pursuit, excellence. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I could sit here and talk to you all day, to be honest. But I, uh, I'm eminently conscious that I've taken up uh, a lot of your time, and I thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. If people are not taking inspiration from that, then I don't know what they will <laughs> take inspiration from. But loads of lessons from your your journey, and I, I can't wait to see. The, the plans for the next phase of, of Le Manoir come to fruition. Well, it's all happening. I will have to speak. come back. Okay. <laughs> and I wish every young person really, one thing I'm going to ask you, please be curious. Find, find somewhere inside you your talent. It's somewhere. I can assure you it is there. So find it. It's worth it. Yeah. Hallelujah. Fantastic. Thank you, Phil. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much Raymond. Merci. Bye-bye. Belle journée. And there we have it. I think we can all agree that Raymond's journey is nothing short of incredible. Again, a huge thank you to him for giving up his time. We'll be back on Friday as we serve up your dessert in our Le Manoir showcase with the absolutely sensational Benoit Blin. It's another fantastic chat with another awe-inspiring personality. We'll see you then.